Thank you for listening to the podcast of Antioch Church, a Christian community in Bend, Oregon, being formed by the story of a God who is making all things new, including us. You can learn more at AntiochChurch.org. Thanks for listening. Well, good morning, Antioch. I am grateful to be with you all today through the magic of color television. Uh, Last week, we kicked off a new journey through the church calendar. And if you remember, we started at the end of the story. We were looking at the promises of Scripture that tell us one day that Christ will come again to establish His eternal kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. One day the world will be made new again. Extreme makeover, heaven and earth edition. One day everything sad will come untrue. God himself will be with us. We will be his people. He will be our God. One day Jesus will come again to reconcile to himself all things. And that is the ultimate hope we have during Advent. So that is how this story ends. But today, the scriptures bring us back to where this story begins. We're going to be focusing on the passage from Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. So here's the setting. It's about 700 years before the time of Christ, and the people of Israel are exiled in the land of Babylon. They're basically being held captive by the Babylonians as prisoners of war. So the Israelites are a suffering people. They've lost their homes, they've lost their land, they've lost their freedom and their sense of identity as a people. And it's a time of deep despair, of significant loss, a time of darkness. And that's the context into which God's word comes to his people through the prophet Isaiah. So we'll start in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So God knows how bad things have been for the Israelites. He knows that they're losing hope. He knows that they're desperate to hear from him, desperate for good news. And so when he speaks, the word that he speaks is the word comfort. He recognizes their despair and their sense of hopelessness, and he tells them comfort. Which, if I'm going to be honest, doesn't feel like that great of news, right? Like if I was an Israelite, I think I would be kind of disappointed. Like does going up to somebody who's hurting and just saying comfort really help them feel any better? I mean, it would be nice if I could just tell my kids when they're hungry that they're not hungry and that would work. It's kind of like the way Michael Scott declares bankruptcy. Uh, It's not quite how it works. But I also think that right now, that you and I find ourselves in a place where the idea of exile might make a little more sense to us. So we're 10 months into this pandemic and things with the virus were kind of looking up for a while, but now numbers are surging again. People are getting sick, people are dying, everything's shut down again, schools are still closed, and it's just getting really exhausting, isn't it? And so, 
just like the Israelites in exile, we may find ourselves looking for hope, looking for relief, looking for comfort. And I think all of us have something we're looking to in the hopes of finding comfort in the midst of these strange and difficult days. Like we have that thing that we're holding on to as the thing that's going to make everything okay. So I think for some of us, uh, it's the fact that 2020 has been such a brutal year for so many reasons, and we just can't wait to flip the page on the calendar. And we're hoping that somehow when we get to 2021, things are just going to get back to normal. Um, for others of us, um, maybe we're hoping that a new president and a new administration is going to be the thing that kind of pulls us all out of this mess and we just need to make it to inauguration day and everything's going to be okay. Or for many of us, maybe it's the vaccine. is That's the thing that we're looking to, to restore order to the world. We're watching the news and we're counting the day until everyone's vaccinated and we can just put this thing behind us. Or whatever it is, we are a people who find ourselves desperate for hope, desperate for relief, desperate for comfort, like exiles in a strange land longing for home. And God speaks this word to his people in exile. Comfort. But as we keep reading, we see that he doesn't just say comfort to them. He goes on to actually tell his people how he's going to comfort them. So in verse 3, a voice of one calling, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So how is God going to comfort his people? Well, he tells them that he will comfort them by breaking into human history. God is telling his people in exile that he has a plan, that he hasn't forgotten about them, that he hasn't abandoned them. Yes, things are hard, but help is on the way. So clear a path, make a way, get ready, look up. God is coming. That's the message that Isaiah has for God's people in exile that the coming of God is the comfort of God's people. The coming of God is the comfort of God's people. Now, we know that the coming of God Isaiah was imagining had to do with their immediate context, with the need to be rescued out of captivity. But the amazing thing about this ancient Hebrew prophecy is that it has multiple layers of meaning. And so we know that the ultimate fulfillment of this promise wasn't just the res rescue from exile, but that God was getting ready to write himself into this story in a whole new way. God was going to come to his people in a way they never would have imagined. He was going to become one of them. As verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord 
will be revealed. God's saying to his people, get ready. You're about to meet me in person. And he tells them here that the way they'll know it's him is that before he comes, he's going to send a messenger to prepare the way for his arrival. So, as you may have noticed, there was some redundancy in the Old and New Testament readings today. In Isaiah, the prophecy is given, and in Mark 1, the prophecy is fulfilled. So this is how Mark tells the story of God coming into the world in Jesus. If we go to Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So John the Baptist is this kind of strange but super important character in the story of Jesus. He's kind of the bridge between the Old and the New Testament, or he's got one foot in the age of promise and the other in the age of fulfillment. And all four Gospels actually portray this guy, John the Baptist, as the one who would prepare the way for Jesus, or the one who ultimately would launch the Jesus movement that would become known as Christianity. So let's just take a couple minutes to talk about this guy, John the Baptist, because he's pretty central to understanding this part of the story. Um, so like many of you, I grew up as a Baptist. And whether or not I understood what John the Baptist was all about, it was nice to know that our denomination, unlike someone like the Lutherans, was actually started by someone from the Bible, not by someone from Germany. Uh, hopefully you know John the Baptist wasn't a Baptist in the sense of the denomination, um, which is why many prefer to call him John the Baptizer. Or in the Eastern Church, he's most often referred to as John the Forerunner. So John's the forerunner for Jesus in at least a couple of senses. First, John really is the last of the Old Testament prophets. His story doesn't show up until our New Testament, but he really carries on in the tradition of the Hebrew prophets, and the gospel writers want to make sure we understand this. Now, when we think of prophecy, we typically think of predicting the future, but that's not always what prophecy looks like in the Bible. In fact, it usually isn't. In the Bible, a prophet is someone who is called by God to listen to God, and then to say what God is saying into the world. So sometimes it has to do with the future, like a warning or something like that. But just as often, God's word through his prophets has to do with the present. And so you'll find that throughout the scriptures, prophets are often pretty strange guys, guys that kind of come from a different world. And this sort of helps explain some of John's persona that's described for us here in Mark, like this wild guy from the wilderness dressed in camel hair, living on locust and honey, and that was before paleo was a thing. Um, so not only was he the last of the Old Testament prophets, but John is also a forerunner to Christ in the sense that in many ways his life 
actually was a preview of Jesus' life. Think about all the parallels between of the story of John the Baptist and the story of Jesus. For example, John and Jesus' births were both foretold by angels. Uh, they both had miraculous births, born uh, of women that uh, shouldn't have been able to have kids. Jesus and John both began their ministries in the wilderness. They both preached the same gospel, which is repent for the kingdom of God is near. John and Jesus were both rejected by the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. They were both arrested and executed. They were both sentenced to death by somebody who didn't want to do it, Herod and Pilate. And for both Jesus and John, after their deaths, their disciples come and ask for their bodies. You could go on and on. There's so many parallels that the gospel writers lay out, which is why you'll often notice that there's confusion. Uh, people often mistake Jesus for John or John for Jesus. And so when we're told that John's ministry is to prepare the way for the Messiah, it wasn't just the message, it was that his life itself was actually a foretaste or a sneak peek of Jesus' life. So this is why today, during Advent, Christians all over the world are talking about John the Baptist. He really is like the personification of the season of Advent. His life embodies the ideas of waiting, anticipating, preparing, getting ready for God's arrival. So, back to Isaiah 40, God promises to comfort his people by coming to them. Then he goes on to show them how if they're placing their hope in anything or anyone other than him, they're going to be disappointed. We'll pick up in verse 6. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So God's reminding his people that anything or anyone they're looking to for their deliverance is going to let them down. And he uses the metaphor of grass or flowers. It's like a fresh bouquet of flowers that looks really good at first, but eventually it's going to wither and die. So I want you to take a moment and ask yourself very practically and very honestly, in this moment of pandemic, of COVID, of lockdown, of anxiety, of weirdness, what's the story that you're telling yourself to keep yourself sane? Or in other words, when you find yourself feeling discouraged or anxious about your life or about the world, in those moments, what do you tell yourself to cheer yourself up? So do you remind yourself that 2020 is almost over? It's almost 2021? 20, or 
Do you tell yourself that we've got a new president coming soon and everything's going to be better? Or do you tell yourself that the vaccine is just around the corner and everything's going to be right after that? Or whatever else it is, all those things may be true to a certain extent, but God is faithful to remind us that whatever it is that we're looking to, to keep ourselves sane and to cheer ourselves up, it may work for a while, but ultimately, it's like grass that's going to wither and die. So Antioch, I want you to pay close attention to those moments where you find yourself searching for hope and comfort in the midst of Corona. I want you to notice the story that you're telling yourself. How are you cheering yourself up and who are you trusting? Those are incredibly important questions that would reveal the direction your heart is facing and who it is or what it is that you are looking to for deliverance, for hope, and for comfort in this moment. Finally, let's look at verse 9 in Isaiah 40. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. I love this. Here's what's happening. Isaiah is declaring that God's coming to his people and God's deliverance of his people ultimately wouldn't just be about them, but it would be a blessing to the whole world. This is where the good news we realize is even better than we thought. Better than Isaiah and the Israelites in exile could have ever imagined. That God was up to something way bigger than we ever could have dreamt. The question when we think about placing our hope in God, learning to wait on God, or learning to receive comfort from God, the question is, what is it that we are looking for? What are we watching for? What are we waiting for? Robert Ferrer Capone suggests that this is what we're looking for. What we're watching for is a party. And that party is not just down the street making up its mind when to come to us. It's already hiding in our basement, banging on our steam pipes and laughing its way up our cellar stairs. The unknown day and hour of its fi finally bursting into the kitchen and roistering its way through the whole house is not dreadful. It's all part of the divine lark of grace. God is not our mother-in-law coming to see whether her wedding present china has been chipped. He's a funny old uncle with a salami under one arm and a bottle of wine under the other. We do indeed need to watch for him, but only because it would be such a pity to miss all the fun. There's a party 
that throughout the scripture is a picture of the coming of God's kingdom to earth. And it doesn't downplay the fact that we may be in exile. We may be lost. We may be hurting. We may be living in the darkness. But God's comfort for his people is his coming to us. But it doesn't just stop there. That he doesn't just come to us to make us comfortable. But as he would later say through Paul to the second, in 2 Corinthians, that he comforts us so that we can become comforters. So Antioch, the invitation this morning is to live into this story as people who are awaiting the coming of God, but living into that story as visitors from the future, as participants in this coming party. Yes, looking to God for our comfort, but also living out our identity as the people of God and bringing comfort to one another and to the world. And so this week, pay attention to the story you're telling yourself, to the place you're looking for hope and for comfort. And know that God himself has promised to be with us and to come to us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss him when he shows up. So let's pay attention. Love you guys.